Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. For those of you who have forgotten or for the uninitiated, uh, Sign Up Sunday is a, a Sunday that we set apart every year in which we just talk about, we kind of br- bring back the curtain and we talk about the, the, the what that goes into making the, uh, the what we do, really. And, and more than just talking about the what, really what we talk, want to talk about is the why. We want to talk about, hey, church is something not just that we go to. Church is something that it's not a, a show that we consume. But, but, you know, in the language that we use so often, we talk about church being a family. That church is something that you can belong to. That church is, is a group of people. That church is a place that can be home. And, and a whole lot of how all of that works is, is this idea of serving. But it's also a little bit tricky because serving for so many people can carry some, some kind of connotations. Some of us have served really well in our lives, and some of us have been involved in things where really we wanted to stop doing something for a long time, but we felt like we couldn't give it to anyone else, and so we just kind of kept on doing it. And so today what I want to unpack is a little bit of of why we serve and why we think serving is important. Is that all right? That's good. and, and so really, what, what we're doing is once a year, we, we take this, this moment to talk about serving. And, and another one of the reasons is often what we find when we talk to people about joining a team, an answer that we often get is, I really want to get involved, I just haven't got around to it. I won't get a show of hands, but we all know that, uh, you know, that, that can be. And maybe, maybe uh, that, that's just a really polite way of saying that you don't want to. Right? You're like, Jono, it's just, it feels too awkward to say thanks, but no thanks. So I'm just going to say, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to do that, but, I, but we take your answers at face value. Uh, and, and so believing, believing the best that, that maybe you actually do want to get involved and you haven't got around to it, really one of the things that we want to do today is, is to put action into our hands. To say, hey, if this is something that you've been intending to do, let us help you to do that. And we really think it's important to put action into hands because in a world of, of kind of consumerism and, and comfort, we can accidentally come to church with the same attitude we come to a lot of the rest of the things in our life. With an attitude that says, I'm busy, what can you give me? Right, that's, that's the kind of attitude that, that's baked in. We live in a consumeristic society in which that is a, a way that, that corporations and organizations and the culture that we live in, they want us to approach the world. Hey, what can you give me? Because then you'll give them money to get some sort of a product. The problem is, is that church is not a product. And, and when we start approaching it like it is, we end up kind of robbing ourselves of the very blessing, the very thing that it's, it's meant to be. The, the key problem with approaching church with a mindset of I'm busy, what can you give me is, is we miss the very thing that we're after. We, we miss the, the transformation, we miss the, com, the community, we miss the, the growth we can experience in, in community. And, and kind of before I go any further today, in a moment I'm going to uh, turn to the Bible, because at least if the rest of this falls over, you will have heard some of the Word of God. Uh, but, but before we go, any, I want to be really kind of as clear as I can. No one has to do anything, right? In, in, in all of who we are, we are not a community of compulsion. We never want anyone to be doing anything, and and kind of if we drill down into the reason that someone's doing it, I just feel like if I don't do it, I'm going to get in trouble. That's not a great motivation for doing it. It's not a lasting motivation for doing it, because as as long as, as you need, you can simply come. As long as you need, you can simply come and receive, and you can be loved on, and you can be encouraged. And we hold that intention with the reality that we do believe that serving is one of the very best things for you. 
that actually maybe the loving thing for us to do is, is to invite you into going beyond maybe even where you feel comfortable into pursuing the life that Jesus has for you. That, that actually maybe living a life focused beyond ourselves is an essential part of what it means to follow after Jesus. So today I'm, I'm, I'm inviting you to think about what it means for you to serve. And kind of each year when we do a Sign Up Sunday, we, we have an intentional focus behind what we're doing. Uh, last year, that kind of focus was on, on serving well. We had the, the catchphrase that serving can be worship, right? That serving is not by default worship, but it's the heart that we bring to it. And so we can be doing a good thing for the wrong reason and be robbing ourselves of the very blessing of the good thing that serving can be worship and, and that we can serve well or that we can serve from a, a dangerous place. And, and I want to say, I think a year later, we can really celebrate. I think our teams are the healthiest that I've, I've ever seen them, right? That, that by and large, people are serving in a way that is worship, that there's not that kind of compulsion of, oh, I'm just doing it because who else is going to do it? But we, we've brought in intentionality. Maybe we're still doing the same thing, but we've chosen, hey, I'm not just going to do this to do a job or to fill a role, but I'm going to do this as a way of worshiping God. And we've received something in doing that that transforms the very act of doing it. Yes, I want to say we've, we've done that. And, and, and so you might think, oh, okay, cool. If that was last year's focus was serving well, what is this year's focus, right? Like, tell us, Jono, be patient, right? That's the whole point of the sermon. We have to build to it. There's going to be a climactic. It's going to happen and, you know, fireworks. And it's going to be an incredible moment. And a pyrotechnics team, we've got all set. No, that's not true. That would uh, breach our higher agreement and we would be in much trouble. So no pyrotechnics, but you can imagine them, right? Just take a moment, close your eyes and just imagine fireworks, right? Hold that picture in your mind and I'll tell you when to deploy them. So uh, today, I want to remind you a little bit of the, the why behind uh, the what. And, and, and to do that, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to John chapter 2. Uh, and we're going to read verses 1 to 10 from the, the message version, because I love how Eugene Peterson kind of captures the, the feeling in the room of, of this moment. So it says this uh, message version, uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were guests also. When they started running low on wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told him they're just about out of wine. Jesus said, is that any of our business, mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. She went ahead anyway, telling the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Now, six stoneware pots, water pots were there, used by the Jews for ritual washings. Each held 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus ordered the servants, fill the pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Now fill your pitchers and take them to the host, Jesus said, and they did. When the host tasted the water that had become wine, he didn't know what had just happened, but the servants, of course, knew. He called out to the bridegroom, everybody I know begins with their finest wines, and after the guests have had their fill, brings in the cheap stuff, but you have saved the best till now. When you bow your heads with me and, uh, and let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this moment. I thank you for us gathered here together in the room today. I thank you for those who are, are joining us online or, or even at a later date. God, I pray that uh, as, as we turn to your word today, as we turn to the invitation of what does it look like to be a people who are beyond ourselves, uh, that today it wouldn't be my uh, ideas, that, that I wouldn't convince or cajole anyone of anything, but, but that you would speak. 
God, that today, if it's if not from you, I pray that it would fall to the floor. But if it is from you, I pray that it would take root in our hearts. God, that something good would grow there, something life-giving, something that helps us to follow in the ways that you have for us, that we might become a little bit more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So I, I don't know about you, I love a good wedding. Right, like I, I think, obviously, I'm I'm kind of uniquely positioned in that I often get to be a part of weddings in more than just a kind of attending way, which which I, I do enjoy. But I also love just going to a good wedding. It's amazing when you kind of get that moment, uh, and it's few and far between for me. You get to go to a wedding and just get to be there. Uh, but however you get to be at a wedding, I, I love the the whole kind of ceremony of the day. Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of, you know, just great stuff. I think a wedding is a great excuse to just have an, an awesome party, which is fun. But, and I think that weddings are a great moment to celebrate love, and, and that's great. But one of the things I love about weddings is often it's, it's a moment to see people that you haven't seen for a long time. Yeah, there's kind of those moments of, oh, man, it, have, can you believe? And more and more as I get older, it's like, ah, it's only been a few years, right? And then you do the maths and you're like, if a few years was like five or ten, then, yeah, it's only been a few years. I mean, you pick up where you left off and it's kind of that, that great moment. And, and, and I love a, a good wedding. And there's something interesting because all throughout Scripture, weddings are a bit of a theme. All throughout Scripture, there seems to kind of be this intentional use of, of marriage and wedding feasts as a, a metaphor for our relationship with God. In fact, Jesus, one of his most kind of used descriptions of what it is to see the kingdom of heaven established here on earth, what God is doing through him and through us, he uses the, 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 the metaphor of, of a wedding and of wedding feasts. And, and then here we have Jesus' first recorded public miracle, and it's, it's at a wedding, and you might be thinking, Jonah, that's, that's nice, that's, you know, cool, thank you for that bit of Bible trivia, right? Like, next time we have a Bible quiz, I'll, where was Jesus' first miracle? At a wedding, right? Like, got it. But, but what does that have to do with, with serving, right? And, and to answer that question, what I want to look at is I want to look at the miracle in this story. Quick, you know, make sure that you are listening. What is the miracle in this story? Just shout it out to me. There you go, you were listening. Water to wine, right? I, I want to look at the miracle in the story. I want to look at why it happens. I want to look at how it happens, and I want to look at who it happens to. We'll put that up on the screen for you. I want to look at why the miracle happens, how does the miracle happen, and who receives the miracle. And by the end of looking at those three things, I hope you'll see exactly what it has to do with serving. So to start us off, let's look at the why, right? Why does the miracle happen? Well, it seems kind of obvious, right? Mary, who is Jesus's mother, sees that they're running low on, on wine, and, and she sets about doing something about that. Now, this is not because Mary is like a raging party animal, and she's just put in a request with the DJ, and they're about to play Dancing Queen by Abba, and she's like, Jesus, you got to keep the party going, right? Because, like, I'm, I'm going to smash it. I'm about to, about to tear up the dance floor, son. Got to keep the party going. It's not why. Although I think that Mary, you know, like again, there's no biblical basis for this, but I feel like she would be out of boogie. It just, you know, there's, there's that, that Mary's hymn and the baby dancing within her and dancing with joy and it just seems like she's got, some, she's got some twinkly toes. Anyway, not the point. Mary sees that, that they're running out of, of, of wine and, and Mary sees that something is broken. Mary sees that the, the wedding, which is meant to be a celebration of love and, and a bringing together of two families, is, a, is about to be ruined because the wine has run out, which, which may feel like an overreaction. 
And I, and I do want to suggest, if you are at a wedding in, in you know, the coming months and, and the wine runs out, the tab finishes up at the bar, whatever might happen, I do not recommend that you then stand up and be like, that's it. Wedding's over. Party's done. Meh. Right? Like, this sucks. I'm out. You've ruined your wedding. The wine did not flow forever. This is done. A curse be upon you. Don't. Don't do that. That is a bad idea. Unless you're sick of going to weddings and you don't want to go to any more weddings for the rest of your life, in which case that might be a good strategy. But also please think of the poor bride and groom whose day you would be ruining. It would not be a loving, kind thing to do, right? Right, the, the wedding is, is ruined but because in Jewish culture at this time, a wedding would go for, for more than one day. A, a, a wedding feast would go for, for multiple days as families came together. And it was the responsibility of the bridegroom to provide the, the food and drink, to provide the hospitality for all of the people who were coming together. But because people were, were traveling from, from far away, they were being put up, they were being looked after by family. It was a moment of kind of unity that, that we think, oh, I haven't seen you for a few years. But, but in, in Jewish culture, they were so far apart, so separated by, you know, you couldn't just jump on a train or, or, the, or get in the car. It took a long time to get from one place to another that, that often you only saw each other at these sorts of events. And so people would make a big deal of it. You would come together. And it was the bridegroom's responsibility to provide for the gathering as a way of demonstrating hey, I'm going to be able to provide for this family that I'm now stepping into, right? I'm stepping out of my father and mother's house. My, my wife is stepping out of her house, and I'm going to be able to provide for this family, and I demonstrate it in providing for this wedding feast. Like, it was a big deal in Jewish society to the, to the point that you could be fined. There were fines established within the Jewish law system for not providing properly at the wedding feast, Right, like it was enough of a thing that like we need to set up a legal process to make sure that uh, that this happens in the right way. And so Mary sees something that that should be joyous, something that should be a, a celebration of love, a celebration of unity is about to go wrong, and she turns to Jesus and she says, "They're about to run out of wine." You know, it's it's interesting that John starts his narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus with this wedding. Because John's gospel is, is all about, if we could sum it up in kind of one sentence, it's about the marriage of heaven and earth in Jesus. That Jesus, the word become flesh, would come to, to bring a way where there was no way to bring heaven, which was far off, down to earth. That, that humanity could know God in a way that we never could before. It's about God coming to us. And, and there's a, a hint of this in the way that John frames the story so that it points ahead to the cross, to the, to the resurrection, right? We see he starts the story, the start of his gospel, three days later. Or, or in some translations, it literally says, on the third day. Which is an odd thing to note because it wasn't actually unusual that a wedding would happen on the third day in Jewish culture. The third day, as, as measured in kind of the Jewish calendar, was, was Tuesday, as counting the, the Hebrew week beginning on, on Sunday. And the third day, Tuesday, was usually chosen as the wedding day for a couple of reasons. The first was, was just a bit of a fun one, that in the Genesis account of, of the creation of the world, God said it was good twice on the third day, that every other day he just says it once, but on the Tuesday... He says it twice, and so it was considered like a doubly blessed day, an especially good day. And then also, just really practically, Tuesdays were, were just like convenient for a Jewish wedding. You couldn't travel on the Sabbath, obviously, and so if you were wanting to kind of have people be able to get to the wedding in time to be able to stay at the wedding for a while and still be able to get back home without kind of wiping out an entire week, Tuesdays just worked pretty well. And I say that 
because it kind of sheds light on the fact that John's not saying it like, can you believe they had a wedding on a Tuesday? Like, this is a crazy day. To, this is a standard occurrence, a weird thing to, to record, because he's not just saying, hey, they had a wedding on a Tuesday. He is foreshadowing that something happened on the third day. That the third day is kind of important to the whole Christian faith. The, he's foreshadowing that this is about much more than just wine at a wedding. And we see this in, in the way that it's driven home and how wine is replaced, wine replaces water, right? The six water jars, the six stone jars filled with water for ritual purification, water that, that you weren't allowed into the party until you came past the water jugs and washed yourself so that you left your uncleanliness outside and you took yourself clean into the celebration, that Jesus replaces this thing that's used for a transactional kind of being clean for a moment with wine, which is the symbol of a new covenant, which would bring cleanliness in a new way for all time. Right in this moment, John is foreshadowing that Jesus came on the third day to a wedding to replace ritual purification with a new covenant relationship of being made pure because of something he does on the third day. And, and we can read that and go, cool, it's a Tuesday. Or we can read that and go, I see that Jesus comes on the third day to bring transformation. Jesus comes on the third day to a day that was meant to be a celebration of love, which was about to be overtaken by shame. And what does Jesus do? He changes the trajectory of that day. He replaces an empty ritual with the symbol of a new covenant. See, to put it as, as simply as I can, why does the miracle happen? It happens to bring something of heaven to earth. It happens because Jesus comes to replace shame with love, to replace division with, with unity, to replace ritual with relationship. See, I, I think I find the picture of a wedding feast such a great inspiration for what, what this, what we are all about, what the church is all about, celebrating heaven coming to earth celebrating what, what God has done and is doing and looking for how we can be a part of it. Looking for where the world needs some, some wine where it's run out. Where the world needs some joy where it's lacking joy. Where shame needs to be replaced with love. Where division needs to be replaced with unity. Where, where ritual needs to be replaced with relationship. So why does the miracle happen? To bring something of heaven to earth. So if that's why, then, then how? Right? How, does the, how does the miracle happen? Well, here we are. It says they've got six water jars. Right, these six jars that we just talked about used for, for ritual cleansing. And, and what does Jesus say? He says, fill them. And it, it tells us that each jar contained about 20 to 30 gallons. We just kind of jump over because also who's measuring things in gallons, right? Not us. So that's not super helpful. We need like a New Zealand translation where it's taken into, can you tell me how many liters that is? And then I'll have a bit of a better idea. So to help you out, I will tell you that these six water jars that they each held 20 to 30 gallons, six jars is over 600 liters of water, right? So it's not like a, you're like a gallon. That must be like a one, you know, 20 gallons. That's like a liter. No, no, no. It's a lot of water, right? 600 liters. These are not like little water jars. These are big jars filled with, with water. And, and think about this. They've been used for ritual purification, and so it doesn't say it, but, but I assume, you know, maybe they're going to tip out the dirty, nasty water. That's what I would like to do if they're going to turn into something that I was going to drink. But either way, whether they're filling them all up or filling them up from half, think about how they would fill them up. Like, well, Jono, obviously they would just grab the hose, and they would take the hose around down the side of the house, and they would turn on the tap, and they would, no, right? None of you are actually thinking that. You're not hoses. This is the ancient Near East. You have to go to a well. 
And the well's not going to be just outside your house. In most situations, you're going to have to walk to the well. And so let's say, you know, to do some, some quick maths, let's say that you've got a bucket, and a bucket holds about 10 liters. Then to fill up the, the 600 liters of water, how many trips to the well are you going to have to take? 60. Some of you good at maths. Some of you are like, I don't know. Tell me, Jono, right? Tell me. I don't know. 60 trips to the, to the well, and, and let's say it takes you, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. That's like a, okay, hey, we need to fill up the jars. Can we just pause the wedding for like a day? Can we pause the wedding for a day? We're just going to fill up these jars, and then we'll resume, right? Which is obviously not what happens, because then kind of the point of the wedding would be missed. But and so instead, how are they going to fill up all of these jars in time to continue the wedding feast, in time to, to not let the party be stopped? I would suggest maybe the party is saved as the servants organized together. As the servants started to, to carry buckets, as the servants started to work together as a, a team, how does the miracle happen? Well, I want to say, most importantly, the miracle happens as all miracles happen because of Jesus. Right? That if Jesus didn't do what Jesus did, there's no miracle. And I think we could say that's true of all miracles, hopefully. Right, but as well as Jesus doing what Jesus did, the servants had a part to play too. They couldn't turn the water into wine, but what they could do was fill the jars. And so the servants did what they could, and they trusted Jesus to do what they couldn't. So, so number two, how does the miracle happen? Quite simply, they did what they could. They filled the jars. They bought their ability. They bought their capacity. They worked together in teams to do what they could practically and naturally, and they trusted Jesus to do all of the things that they couldn't. So number one, why does a miracle happen? To bring something of heaven to earth. How does a miracle happen? They did what they could. The wedding is saved. It's an amazing day. The, the master of ceremonies is like everyone else saves the, you know, serves the best wine first when people can taste it. And then later on, when people become less discerning, you can read the subtext there, they bring out the bad wine. But you've saved the good wine to last. Man, what an amazing thing to do. And so it brings me to my third question. Who, who receives the miracle? It feels obvious at first, right? The guests. The master of ceremony says, you saved the best for last. The, the guests got to start with good wine and, and finish with even better wine. They, they benefited, right? I want to say, sure. Like, it was, a, it was a good day to be a guest at that wedding. You got, you got a, great, a great feast going on. But did they really receive the miracle? Because they got the benefit of the miracle. But actually, if we read in the text, you know, even when it's talking about the master of ceremonies, he doesn't know. He doesn't know what's happened, and so they received the benefit of the miracle, but they never actually knew that the miracle took place. And I want to ask, what is it to receive a miracle? Is it just the benefit of it, or is it something better? We could, we could say it this way. The guests left having tasted good wine, but the servants left having seen something of heaven touch earth. The servants left having seen Jesus transform water into wine. I don't know about you, but if I could choose to be in one of those two camps on that day, I don't just want to taste some good wine. I want to see Jesus do something incredible. That the servants saw Jesus start his ministry here on earth. They saw him begin what would end in the transformation of all history. The servants received the miracle. The ones who saw Jesus transform the water into wine, who were the first to see the Messiah's ministry start, they received the miracle. See, there are two types of people in John 2. The guests left refreshed. They left having had a good time, but the servants, I believe they left blessed, having had their lives changed. 
I have seen Jesus bring something of heaven to earth, and I cannot be the same from here on out. So to, to recap, why does a miracle, if we go to all of them all together, look at that, what a beautiful thing. Uh, why does a miracle happen? To bring something of heaven to earth. How does a miracle happen? Well, well they did what they could. And who receives the miracle? I want to suggest the servants receive the miracle. And, and it's that statement, the servants receive the miracle, that I want to zero in on today. See, this, the servants receive the miracle is kind of a very on-brand message for Jesus. Jesus says over and over again things like in Matthew 23, the greatest among you will be a servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Or, or Luke 9, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross, intentionally choosing sacrifice, becoming a servant. There's an essential rewiring that we're invited to pursue when we follow in the way of Jesus. And what I want to suggest today is that when we do that, we step into what I want to call the blessing of the servant. See, Jesus' death on the cross removes the, the penalty of sin, right? Because of what Jesus did, we can be in relationship with God. That's what John is referring to the whole time at the start of, of this story, that, that Jesus has come to do something, to make a way where there was no way, so that we could be in a better relationship with God. But, but I want to suggest it's our death to ourselves in serving that continually removes the power of sin. See, that, that when we serve, we step into the way of Jesus. That Jesus has already made a way where there is no way. We're not earning anything. We're not making anything happen. But, but that when we serve, we could describe it this way, that it's like spiritual CPR. That, that it, it brings life back into us. But it's only when it's done with the right motivation. Right, serving is not by default something that's, that's going to bless us, but it's, it's when we serve, not just to get the job done or not just to fill a gap, although serving can both get jobs done and fill gaps, but we miss the blessing when we forget that serving can be worship. So you want to say, what's the, the difference between serving as a way to get something done and, and serving as worship? I, I would suggest it's the same difference as the difference between karaoke and worship. John, I don't understand. Well, Carrie, you know, if you think about this moment where the team leads us so well in praise and worship, and you think about karaoke, whether you have done that or not, maybe that's going to be a learning experience for you this week. Like, I need to apply this application to my life a little bit more. Right? And in both situations, there is singing. In both situations, there is music, right? For an outsider looking at it from, you know, they're like, it's the same thing. You're singing, you're singing, right? This one is a little bit more put together and, and hopefully better singing. Although some of you might be incredible at karaoke, right? I don't want to judge. But the intent is very different, isn't it? When we sing here, we're, we're not singing as, as a performance or as entertainment. We're singing as a way of, of expression towards God, as a way of, of, of outpouring who we are. It's, it's worship. Karaoke is just singing for fun. It's just a bit, of, a bit of a good time. And it's not a bad thing as a result, but it's very different to what worship can and should be. In the same way, when we serve, we can serve just to get a job done, but that's karaoke. Right? We miss the very point. We miss the very blessing that comes when we serve as a response to and in line with the character of Jesus. When we do that, it's worship. When we serve because someone has to or, or because I'm on this week, we get a job done and, and, and there's nothing innately wrong with that. But I think it, it's a little like filling up the jars of water and then walking away just before Jesus turns them into wine. 
right? We do the job, we're there, we put in the effort, but we miss the very blessing of seeing Jesus take our natural thing, the, our, our effort, doing what we can and taking it and doing far more with it than we ever could on our own. We miss the blessing of the, the servant. We miss the best part. So what's the blessing of the servant? Well, number one, and most importantly, it helps us to become more like Jesus, right? But, but number two, and we'll chuck this one up straight away as well, it I want to say, when we serve, it helps us to connect to community. You know, I loved when we had our our 15-year celebration a a couple of weeks ago. We asked the question, when did Equippers become home for you? And and everyone's story had one thing in common, right? Everyone's story mentioned serving. We, we, We didn't brief anyone. We didn't say, like, hey, okay, come here. Now, when you talk about, you know, being in church, can you just make sure that you mention serving? Right, we could have done that. Would have been quite, you know, there would have probably been better planning on our behalf. But we didn't. We just put the question out there. Hey, when did Equipus Church, when did church, when did this become home for you? And, and every single person in their response in some way, shape, or form mentioned serving. Every one of our panelists said, hey, when I started to serve, when I got involved, it became an essential aspect of church becoming home for them. I want to ask, do, do, do you want to feel more at home in church? Some of us are feeling very at home in church. <laughs> if I say elephant in the room, we've got to acknowledge it. If someone's given him a loving little nudge, that would be a blessing to him, I think, uh, later on. Um, <laughs> do you want to feel more at home in church? I want to say maybe serve, right? Maybe find a, a way. We could put it this way, and we'll put this on screen behind me. Make yourself at home. Right, you're like, oh, Jono, what, what, what does that mean, right? That feels, well, let me explain it this way. You're not at, a, you're not at home in a friend's house when they're waiting on you hand and foot, right? You're, you're not at home when, you're not at home when, when kind of you're, you're sitting there and you're on pins and needles and you don't know where the toilet is and you don't know what to do or what to be involved with or, you know, you're kind of in that place of, of feeling a little bit awkward. You're like, I don't want to, I don't know what are the things, where can you put the cup down, right? Can you put the cup on this thing or do I need a coaster? Like, I don't know. I'm just going to hold the cup for the whole time I'm here. You're not at home. You're at home when you know where the cups live, when when you know that you can help yourself, when you know that you can tidy up, when you make yourself at home. And and, and there's truth to the statement and that others can make you feel welcomed, right? And and we always want to do all that we can to help you to feel welcomed, but only you can make yourself at home. And and it's it's not something to be like put off by. Like we, we could hear that and be like, oh, so it's my fault, right? We're saying, John, is it's my fault if I don't feel like I'm at home, is it? Right? This is, I'm not saying that. This isn't a, a blame game. In, in the same way that when you come around to a friend's house and they say, make yourself at home, you don't turn around and say, well, I never. Well, like, how, how dare you? As a host, I expect that, that it is very much your responsibility, and I will be as at home as you make me. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, maybe you do that, in which case, please do not invite me over. That would be weird. Or other way around, I won't invite you over. Right? We make ourselves at home. It's not like, a, hey, the onus is on you. If you don't feel at home, it's, it's your bad. You should feel shame for it. That's not what we're saying at all. Make yourself at home is an invitation to be more than a guest. Being a guest is, is great, but, but we believe in church that it's about being more than just guests. We want our guests to feel welcome, but our prayer is that you go from being a guest to becoming part of the family. That, that really, maybe you hear others speak of being at church and church is home and you think, oh, that, that'd be nice. I'll say, yeah, it would be nice. So make it nice. 
Make yourself at home. No one can make it home for you. We can make you feel welcome, but only you can make it a home. And, and there's something in getting involved and pitching in and, and, and going from a guest to a member of the family that makes it feel like home. Make yourself at home. See, like I said at the beginning, a large part of the intent of today is to kind of act as a bit of a circuit breaker. That if you're anything like me, we can go from doing right things for the right reasons and just add a little bit of time and all of a sudden we're doing the right things for the wrong reasons. What we're doing hasn't really changed, but the heart attitude has. And, and to, today is a moment to kind of just break that cycle and reflect on what we're doing. To reflect, hey, if I'm serving, if I'm in a team, if I'm contributing, is it worship? And, and to realize, if not, it can be. It's the difference between karaoke and what we do on stage. It's our intent. And so turn your attention to the jars again. Look for where God is doing what only God can do, where he's turning water into wine. Or, or, or maybe you're here and you're a guest at the moment. And I don't necessarily even mean that it's, it's your first time. Maybe you've been coming for a long time, but, but if currently you just come along on a Sunday and you sit in a seat and you have a coffee and go, I pray that, that God meets you. I pray that you taste the wine. I pray that you're refreshed. But I also want to let you know that there's more that it's the servants who receive the miracle. We want to bless you for as long as you need to be blessed, but we also always want to let you know, hey, come behind the scenes a little bit and be involved in filling the water jars because that's where the real, the real miracle is. We could put it this way. If you're not helping, you're not helping. Oh, profound. Oh, wow, just like, bam. That's the fireworks moment, right? Psh. What do you mean, right? Again, you're making me feel bad. No, what I'm saying is if you're not helping, you're not helping. Yeah, not helping us. Sure, many hands make light work, and, and there's a contribution that, that only you can make. But really what I mean is if you're not helping, then you're not helping yourself. You're not helping yourself to belong. You're not helping yourself to see what God is doing. See, I believe the call of God and being a part of a church is to serve, not sit. And maybe for some of us, like I said, we need to sit for a while, sit for long enough that you can serve in a way that is worship. There is no guilt or shame in there. There is no judgment in there. Only you know how long you need to sit for. Only you know if you need to go from he uh, healing to helping or from helping to healing. And we want to be with you in that journey. But, but I want to say we can all play a part. No matter our age or, or background, you know, I, I find it incredible. One of the most beautiful pictures of this is in our kids' programs, the kids help lead. I want to be very clear. Do we need them to help lead? No. In fact, it's actually harder to have the kids help lead than it would be if we just led it on our own, right? Like anyone who's got children and they want to help bake the cake or whatever else knows it's harder to bake a cake with the child helping than it would be just to bake the cake on your own. We're not getting them in because we're like, hey, child labor. We're pro-child labor, right? Like let's put them children to work. They've got little fingers. They can do the fiddly things. Not what we're saying. Right. Instead, what it is, is we're getting them involved because we recognize there is a blessing in being involved. We want them to feel like this is not something that they come along and consume or watch, but something they can contribute and be a part of. We want everyone belonging. We want everyone in community. We want everyone not just being blessed, but seeing God move. As I get the band up, I'm, I'm almost done. But, but like I said at the beginning, each year we have something we're really focused on for, for a sign-up Sunday. Last year, the focus was, was that serving can be worship, about serving well. And, and this year, the focus that we want is quite simply more people. That's, I'm pointing because it's going to change. More people. No, one back. 
more, there we go, more people at home. Right, we want more people serving. Our aim is to increase serving across the board, not because we need more things done necessarily, but because we want more people to feel at home. We want more people making themselves at home. We want more people feeling like they belong. And we want you to receive what God is doing, not just the blessing, but our goal, our aim, our prayer for us as a church is that we would be a people who see the miracle. See, to to land this as practically as I can, we're putting out an invitation, join a team, be a part of something, go behind the scenes, draw back the curtain, fill up the water jars, do what you can as we bring something of heaven to earth, be a part of seeing the miracle step into the blessing of the servant. And we kind of know that feeling, like, join a team, that's a great idea, what team, which team, where do I go? Now I have indecision, right? I'll make a decision in six months' time once I feel less kind of overwhelmed by the decision. We all know that feeling. You turn on Netflix and you're like, now I'll watch a movie. An hour later, you're like, I've watched a lot of trailers and now I will go to bed, right? There's too many options, so I chose nothing. And therefore, I have not lost in any way. We're kind of losing every way, right? Or you go to a, go to a restaurant, you're like, what shall I eat off the menu? Like, why can they not make bad things on the menu? There needs to be some things that people put on the menu just as a thing that you can look at and go, well, I don't want that, right? You can definitely, that's what the vegetarian option is for. <laughs> I won't be having, can you add some steak to that? Right? I apologize if you're vegetarian in the house. Thank you for your convictions. Right, and so what we wanted to do to kind of remove a bit of that barrier to make it as easy as possible for you to go, hey, I can be a part of that is, is we're pulled, if we go to the next slide now, we pulled together a, a list of kind of the availability within church. Now, we're not saying these are the only things that you can be a part of or these are the only things to do. We're not saying that you are serving to fill a gap or to fill a role, but what we are saying is that there is something that only you can do. There is a gap, there is a way, there is, there is a person, there is a, a, an expression of love, there is a miracle that only you can be a part of. And, and so what we're gonna do across the next couple of weeks in person when we gather together again in July, but also across social media is we simply wanna show you as these circles start to fill up, as we start to meet need, and that's our prayer that we would fill every single one of these circles, not, not because we want all the circles filled, but because we want more people at home that there is availability. You know, I know that we're good at this. That you can come along on a Sunday, you'll be like, they don't need me. Right, like they can get it all done. The team's great. Everything's working. No, nothing's falling over. Nothing's on fire. We'll always make it work. We made it work with very few people sometimes. Because we want to bring something excellent, something honoring to God and to you. We want to create an environment in which you are comfortable. But just because we can make it work doesn't mean we don't want you involved. Because it's actually about getting you involved more than it is about making it work. I would rather have you on team and something go wrong because you plugged something in the wrong place, which, you know, I can relate to. I've done it many times. This Sunday, I mainly just stood on the stage as the team put it together. That was my main helpful thing to do. They're like, can I plug anything in there? John, I just, just look pretty. I'm like, wow, fortunately, I'm professional with that. <laughs> you got to work to your strengths, right? Sorry, there's no one else allowed on the looking pretty team. That's full. Um, it's, uh, just, it's just me. Right, but, but there's a moment in which you can see, hey, I can join in, in this team. And, and instead of thinking, man, what could I do? Our prayer is that you would look at that and you go, oh, I could do that. I, I could be a part of that. Each team has a, an availability. There are people that you could meet. There is a miracle that you could be a part of. And so to land this as simply as I can, I want to say, how can you be a part? I, I want to answer that question rather than just ask it. So you can do one of two things. Up on the screen, you'll see a QR code. You can bring out your phone. You can scan that. It'll take you to a form and an event registration in Planning Center. 
Uh, and you can just say, hey, I want to join one of the teams. The teams are not broken down into the areas, just the, the overall headings for, for not giving us kind of an administrative nightmare at the back end of it. So if you're like, oh, I really want to serve on, on Sparks, those two to three-year-olds, I've seen Harriet, she's very cute. I want to spend more time with Harriet. I cannot blame you. That's my daughter, and you're like, that's a weird thing to say. Then you simply go on, hey, I want to serve in kids. And then in the area of writing down what you want to do, you can say, I'm interested in Spark. Right? And, and they'll go through and, and we'll get in touch with you. Or if you're like, that, I'm, I'm a troglodyte. I do not like technology. I don't want to scan that thing on the way out. Or if you just, you know, not to insult you, sorry. On the way out, there's going to be a little form you can grab. And, and again, you can fill that out. It says, hey, I'd like to join one of these teams. You can take it away with you. Have a think. On there as well, there's a QR code. If you want to re-embrace technology, you can do that. And the other thing I want to say is that there's no minimum kind of commitment. We want you involved however that looks for you. Whether it's once a fortnight or, or once a term, we want to create a space for you to serve, for you to, to, to belong, for you to invest. And so as well in the form online, there's space for you to specify that. The last thing I want to speak to, and, and then we'll finish with a song of praise, is you may have noticed that up on here, there's none of our kind of outside of this room initiatives that we do. There's no Equippers Care or 800 Hungry or the things that we do to, to bless our community. And, and that's quite intentional because what we, what we don't want to do is create this false dichotomy where we say, hey, you either serve outside of church or inside church, right? Like serve or mission, you've got to choose one. Some of us are mission people, some of us are serving people. That's not how we believe that it works. We think that we're called to do both. We, we want to serve in our house to bring it back to the, the framework that we've been in for the last couple of months. We want to be a house of prayer a place that facilitates the party in which we draw close to God, in which we draw close to God in prayer and worship and serving in this way helps us to facilitate that. But we don't wanna just be a house of prayer. We wanna be a house of prayer for all nations, that from our gathering together as we come and as we worship Jesus, that we would continue into our community to worship Jesus and recognizing the face of Jesus in the face of others that we would be His hands and feet. And so we don't want to present you with a, hey, do you want to serve or do you want to be involved in mission? We want to say we believe that there's room for both, that we can be a people who come and who, who praise, who worship, who, who bring that to God in this form, and then we can go from that continuing to, to serve in our community. And so we're going to continue, as we have for the last couple of months, to invite you to serve in both ways. It's not either or, it's both and. Listen, I'm, I'm done. Maybe just as you bow your heads, as you close your eyes. I just wanted to reiterate one thing. And that is that God's love has nothing to do with if you serve or not. That the message of the gospel is that Jesus came to us, but not because we convinced him to. And, and you could today not serve a, a single day in your life anywhere from this moment forward. And, and I believe you'd miss out on something wonderful, but Jesus still loves you. Jesus still came for you. God still loves you. And, and so if you're here today, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you've heard me speaking of this Jesus who, who came not to, to, to be served, but to serve, to give his life for us. I want to make sure that you know that he came for you and that there is an opportunity to accept his sacrifice on your behalf. So as heads are bowed, his eyes are closed. If you're here today and you're like, Jono, you've been talking about this way of Jesus and serving others. This foreshadowing at the wedding of the fact that Jesus came to make a way where there was no way. As simply as I can explain that, Jesus came to make sure that you knew that you were loved. To separate you from the evil that we do to ourselves and to each other. That we might know that we are seen, that we are accepted, that we are His. But He won't force that on you. And so if you're here today and you've yet to 
to receive Jesus as your Savior, to choose to make Him your God, what that means by default is that you have to be God. And if you want to place Him back in that appropriate seat in your life, back on the throne of your heart, just heads about as eyes are closed, I'd love to pray a prayer with you. Before we do, I'd love to know who I'm praying with. There's a moment for you to say, hey, that wasn't just a, a moment that went by, but that was a moment I engaged with. I made a decision. And for us to know so that we can support you in the journey. So if that's you, just in a moment, I'd love you to raise your hand and let me know. Moments now, why don't you raise your hand in three, two, one. If that's you, I'd love for you to let me know. Just raise your hand. Today's the day that I'm choosing to follow Jesus for the first time or as a recommitment. Online, if that's you, I'd love to support you in that journey. Awesome. Just a moment longer, if that's you, why don't you raise your hand up nice and high and let me know. It's great, church. Would you repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, today I choose to follow you. Thank you that you love me, that you came for me. Today I choose to accept you as my Lord and my God. From this day, I'm choosing to follow you. Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Hey, listen, in a moment, we're going to go out with a song of praise, but we want to say, if you take nothing else away, please remember, we believe that serving is good for you. We believe that serving is good for us. But ultimately, it has to be your conviction. We don't want anyone to serve because you're like, oh, man, I really feel like, you know, if I don't do that, I'm going to be letting the team down. If we serve from that motivation, we end up putting ourselves in a place that it never really works. And so, have a thing, have a pray, but make yourself a home. It's our prayer, it's our goal that more people would be at home. And so if today is a day for you to say, hey, I've been thinking about it for a while, embrace it. There's no downside. If you join a team and you're like, I was horribly suited to that team, you can join a new team, right? You're not locked into anything forever. We want you involved. We're not putting you into some sort of slave labor program. Is that all right? It's good. Thanks good. for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.